0: All right, well, good morning again and happy Easter. It is awesome to see all of you this morning. I'm glad that you are here. I know there's a lot of stuff going on today from Easter egg hunts to picnics to uh, family get-togethers, getting the kids dressed up, things just right, getting photos taken, all of those sorts of things that are going on today. But for me, when I was a kid, the most important thing about this day was the Easter basket. When I was growing up, I loved my Easter basket. And just about every year, in addition to candy, my Easter basket always, almost every single year, would have three things in it. A kite, some fishing tackle, and some shotgun shells, right? Because nothing says Happy Easter in Georgia like a topwater jig and a box of shells. It's, It's just how it is. Yeah, that was the most important thing to me, maybe for some of you in here, that's the most important thing for you as well. Or maybe the most important thing today is that ham or that casserole that's coming later on this afternoon, or maybe it's getting everything ready for that. It's, you know, you've got a lot to do, that's on your mind, it's what it's filled with. Maybe that's what's most important for you. For some of you, maybe what's most important today is getting the kids all dressed up and then praying to God that they would stay clean until the photos get taken, right? And for some of you who are questioning if, question if you even have a soul, maybe the most important thing are Cadbury eggs and Peeps. Those things are nasty, right? I wonder if you have taste buds or a colon. And if you do, you might not after you eat one. They're nasty. But you can probably figure out where I'm going with this by now. Today, none of those things are the most important thing about today. The most important thing about today is Jesus. The most important thing about today is the resurrection. And so there's nothing more important that I could share with you than the story of the gospel, the good news, the good news. Of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Something that Paul, as Christi just read, says is of first importance. That there's nothing, not only more important for this day, but there's nothing more important in the universe. There's nothing more important that you could know than that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again in our place for our sins. That is the most important truth in all of the universe. And so I want to share that with you in a little bit more detail this morning and what it means particularly. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Christy just read. You can find this on page 961 in the black hardback Bibles that are around you. And if you don't own a Bible or you don't have one that you can read, then take that one home with you. It is our gift to you, So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961. And we'll pick it up in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And so just right off the bat, Paul is saying, again, of all that can be known the one thing that absolutely, assuredly must be known is the gospel. Right? And then he's going to turn and he's going to give to us a Christian creed, an ancient creed, a creed that was memorized, recited in churches within the first five years of Jesus' death and resurrection. And just kind of as a side note, notice this this creed, and here we are 2,000 years ago, studying and talking about the exact same thing. Because the faith has not changed what the early Christians believe, we believe. And here's what the creed says. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. This had been prophesied. This had been talked about. That's what the whole Old Testament is pointing to that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The resurrection was foretold. The resurrection was predicted all throughout the Old Testament. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's a Christian euphemism for death. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so again, this is the greatest thing you could ever know. And so to help unpack it a little bit, I'm going to give you two simple truths that I want you to go home with remembering. Number one is that Christ died for you. Okay, realize that. Realize that Christ died for you. And then number two, realize that Christ was raised for you. Like this is corporate, but this is individual. You. Christ died for you. Christ was raised for you. This is of first importance. And so number one again, realize that Christ died for you. Like this is what happened on Good Friday. So on Friday afternoon, we gathered with South Point Community Church. It was at their place this year. I preach. Next year I'll be here and Matt will preach. And this is what we talked about. That Christ died on the cross for our sins. See, the reality is that God is holy and righteous and good. And we're not. We're sinful. We are sinners, every single one of us. Romans three twenty three for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And whereas God, whereas our justice system is imperfect, God's justice system is perfect. And so every offense against him, every sin is properly punishable by eternal death and separation from him in hell. And then we're all sinners. But here's the good news. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And God doesn't want to condemn the world. He wants to save the world. And listen, he's God, so he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. But here's what's so remarkable is that he loves us. And he wants us. And so out of love and grace and mercy, God the Father sent his son into the world and he became a man. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was laid in a manger. He grew up as a carpenter. He resisted temptation in every way. I mean, just like he faced everything we face so he can identify with us. Yet he never sinned. Not once. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then out of great love for me and for you, He willingly exchanged His life with us. On the cross, He gave us His sinless, perfect righteousness and He took our sinful, imperfect, unrighteousness upon Himself and He willingly went to the cross and He suffered and died and was punished in our place for our sin. What we deserved, He took. That's what Good Friday is all about. Jesus Christ died. Historical fact. For theological meaning. Our sins in our place in love as our substitute. And just help you visualize this. Remember, back in the first century, if you were condemned to die by execution, what they would do is they would hang a... a, placard or a card or something above your head as you were being executed that had a list of your record of debts okay, it had a list of your charges the indictments that were against you it had a list of those things now for Jesus there was nothing he was actually condemned for so it just said king of the Jews alright here's the deal though you and I do have a record of debt that's hanging over our head We do have a list of charges against us. We do have indictments against us. I bet if you think about it for a minute, some of them will even run through your head. Some that are even from this very week alone. Sins that you've committed against God. We all have this. Every single one of us. Your lusts, maybe from this week, your jealousies, your hatreds, your your lies, your deceit, your addictions, your indifferences. My friends, the whole point of the cross, like this, this is the point of the cross, because when Jesus went to the cross, it's as if that those charges that are over our head, he took them, he paid for them. And in doing so, He set them aside. He wiped us clean. He canceled the debt. It's expunged. It's gone. It's been paid. And so just kind of as an aside for you this morning, and a warm blanket for your soul, for those of us who maybe struggle with guilt and shame and regret and continue to fall and just torment ourselves with guilt, look right up at me. If the highest court in the universe God the Father has forgiven you, then forgive yourself as well. And others. You're not a higher authority than God. And so if He's forgiven, you forgive. And so Jesus Christ died, historical fact, He died for theological meaning, our sins in our place, in love, as our substitute and so number one realize that Christ died for you that's part of the most important truth you could ever know but part two is this he didn't stay dead he rose again and so number two realize that Christ was raised for you all right realize that Christ was raised for you like literally after being dead He was buried in a rich man's tomb in accordance with the scriptures, and then he came back to life. When when Paul says this in verse 4, what he's saying is that unlike anyone, I mean, unlike anyone who has ever lived, unlike any religious teacher who has ever taught, unlike any miracle worker who has ever served, Jesus Christ conquered death. After being murdered on Friday, he was dead from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, he stopped being dead. His heart started pumping. Blood started flowing. Synapses started firing. He's alive. And friends, that makes him distinct from and superior to every person who has ever lived or ever will live. And then Paul tells us that he was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. And so what that means is that Jesus was not hiding. He was widely known. This would have been on the front page of the Jerusalem News and Observer. It would have been trending on Twitter. Folks at work, in the synagogue... Around the dinner table, everybody would have been talking about the fact that Jesus is alive and he's walking around and he's visible publicly and he's scheduling meetings and he's going to meals with people and he's making appearances and everybody had an opportunity to verify that he had indeed risen from the dead. And so that's why in verse 6, Paul says, listen, if you don't believe me, go ask the uh, other eyewitnesses who who were there. Most of them are still alive. The first Corinthians was written when most of the eyewitnesses were still alive. Eyewitnesses, including people like Paul and Jesus' own brothers who despised him in life and then they saw him resurrected and they worshipped him as God. And I think that is a huge Argument that Christ is who he says he is. Because I've got a brother, and I can tell you right now if he came to me, it was like, I'm God, and I'm here to save you from your sins, little brother. I'm calling 911, right? Something's wrong, bad, big time. But if he claimed it his whole life and then he resu- re- resurrected from the dead and was like, told you, that is the one thing that would make me believe. And that's exactly what his brothers did. All right, And so just as with Christ's death, we had a historical fact with a theological meaning, so we have with Jesus' resurrection, we have a historical fact. He rose again. There's gobs of evidence for this. But there's also a theological meaning. And it's like a diamond. It is multifaceted and every angle is glorious. And so I want to share a few of those with you. First of all, when God the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was demonstrating that he accepted Christ's suffering death as a full payment for sin. There's no more needed. It's not, well, Jesus did most of it. Now I need to pay a little bit too. I need to do enough penance. I need to be sorry enough. Well, there is repentance, but it's not penance. It's not Jesus pays some and you pay some. No, Jesus paid it all. And so now if you are in Christ, there is no, therefore no condemnation. But not only are we no longer guilty. a second implication is that for those who have trusted in Christ, we are now favored. We're now favored. See, the resurrection is a validation That the Father's favor was now back on Christ. No longer was He under the wrath of God. No longer was that on Him. It had been paid for. It is finished as Jesus said. And so now God's favor towards His Son is back being directed towards His Son. And then that same favor then is directed towards us because We are in Christ if you are a believer. We are united with him in salvation. And so what all of that means is that if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have been declared not guilty and you now have God's favor directed towards you. All because Jesus rose again. And so just teasing that out a little bit more, friends, what this means is that if you are in Christ, if you have trusted him as your word and savior for salvation, God's love for you cannot fluctuate up and down based upon what you do. Because it's not based upon what you do. It's based upon what Christ did. And since God the Father cannot love his son any more Nor can he love his son any less since you are in Christ. That means he can't love you anymore and he can't love you any less. There's nothing that you can do if you are in Christ to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. You can grieve him, but you can't make him love you more or less And so, friends, that means the pressure's off. The pressure's off. Jesus has already won our salvation for all who believe. But there's more implications. Look at verses 12 through 19. This is something that struck me this week as I was studying. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. And so what Paul is saying is that if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. If Jesus did not rise again, then He is not God. He is not the Messiah. He is not the Savior. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no salvation. And there is no hope of a resurrected life with Him in eternity. But, verse 20, But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Which means, think with me here for just a second, which means that all those things that he said weren't true in verses 14 through 19, if Christ did not raise from the dead, are true because Christ did raise from the dead. And so that means going back through them, verse 14, that a Christian's faith not only is not in vain, but it's absolute and secure in a Savior who loves you and who is for you and who is faithful and who is true and who will never let you down and who has power over sin and death. This is what the resurrection means. It means, verse 15, that what the apostles preached is true. That God's word is true, that there is absolute truth. And God has spoken from on high, telling us what is true and right for our joy and his glory. The resurrection tells us this. It tells us verse 17 with absolute certainty, even as we've already talked about, that for those who have accepted Jesus's offer of salvation, that you are no longer in your sins. In other words, you are forgiven the resurrection guarantees this for believers and in verse 18 the resurrection tells us that for those who have repented and surrendered their lives to jesus as lord and savior and then who have passed away that they have not perished and is that they are alive this would not be true without the resurrection. But since the resurrection is true, this is true. And so listen, I lost the only grandfather that I ever knew in 1992. I lost my, one of my grandmothers in 1996. And then in 2009, I lost my mama Ruth. She was my grandmother who lived across the road from us on the farm that I spent hours with literally every day for the first 18 years of my life. She took me to school. She picked me up from school. She'd give me a snack. She'd make sure I'd do my homework. And then in the summers, I stayed with her all day long, and she worked me like a dog. (laughs) And so when she passed away in 2009, it stung, and it hurt. And it still does. And many of you in this room know that feeling and maybe even more so because you lost a mom or a dad or maybe even a child. But dear friends, here's the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection guarantees that those loved ones who knew Jesus have not perished. Perished. That they are alive with Christ right now and he's never not been with them. He's been with them every moment, welcoming them home, embracing them, loving them. See, there would never be a time, there will not be one millisecond in your life where you are not connected presently to Jesus. There's nothing, Romans 8 is a testimony. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not even death. But also, dear friends, as I was praying even earlier, death is on the clock. It won't always be around. Its time is limited because it was defeated by Jesus when he rose again. And so now we're just waiting for his return and he will bring an eternal extinction to death. And we can finally mock the enemy of death. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because it's gone. The resurrection guarantees this. And it also guarantees our future resurrection. Because verse 20 says, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Meaning we will rise again when Jesus returns. And those who are believers, He will restore our humanity. He will restore what death breaks and takes away. Death splits our humanity. It takes our body. It takes our soul. When Jesus comes again, He will restore our humanity, putting our bodies and souls back together. And He will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And you will wipe away every tear from our eye, and death shall be no more. This is Revelation 21. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And Jesus declares, Behold, I am making all things new. The resurrection guarantees this. And so because of that, verse 19, not only are we not to be pitied if we are in Christ Actually, we're to be envied because we have a hope with a name. His name is Jesus. And not only has He given to us all of these guaranteed hopes that we've been talking about, but He also gives us hope in the details of this life because Jesus is in the resurrection business. And so He can resurrect a dead marriage. He can resurrect a broken heart or a broken spirit. He can resurrect dead jobs, dead careers. He can resurrect unexpected events or circumstances you would not have chosen. He can resurrect the hope that you've lost. He can resurrect the joy that's left you. My friends in here who are not yet Christians, He can resurrect you spiritually. See, that's what salvation is. It's going from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's going from impending doom because of your sin to guaranteed acceptance and love because Jesus paid for your sin. And all it takes is you saying yes to this offer that he extends to you. And you would repent and believe the gospel and put your whole trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to be what makes you right before the Father. That's it. And friends, all of this that we've talked about, all of this is the victory that's been won for us by Christ's resurrection. This is its multifaceted meaning, all of these things. And so yes and indeed, this is the greatest truth that you could ever know. Because while we are more sinful than we have ever dared dream. Friends you are also more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. And so realize this Easter morning. Jesus died for you. For you. For your sins in your place. And realize this Easter morning that he was raised again for you. For each One of you to give you hope, to give you life, to give you joy and forgiveness and favor. And so, again, the pressure is off, my friends. And so walk in joy, walk in hope, walk in victory, because Jesus walked out of the grave. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this great day. This great day to celebrate the most important event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Jesus, we thank you that the tomb is empty, that sin is forgiven, that death is conquered, that you are exalted, and that salvation has been granted by grace to all who would receive your gift. And new life has been given. And so we thank you so much, Lord Jesus. And we worship you. We ask the Holy Spirit to fill us that we might love you with redeemed hearts, that we might sing to you with redeemed mouths and we might live here empowered by grace to live redeemed lives for the good of those around us and for the praise of your glorious grace that you alone are due. For you were slain. And you are worthy to receive all honor and power and glory forever and ever. It is a humbling truth that you would die for us. And it is a glorious truth that the death, death cannot hold you. The grave cannot keep you from rising again. We love you and we worship you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.